my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet, dear listeners, it's my pleasure to welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage. As always, this is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai, and I have the honor and pleasure of connecting with all of you from our studios at Prashanti Nilayam. For those of you who are regular listeners of this program, I'm very grateful to all of you for joining me week after week and giving me this opportunity to, along with you, journey through this wonderful work called the Bhagavad Gita and uh, we are in the fifth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, towards the end of the fifth chapter. I'm certainly very, very grateful to all of you for joining me week after week, for the wonderful feedback that I get often. The opportunity itself of going through this wonderful work with all of you is indeed a great pleasure and uh, sometimes, if at all, what is being said is not clear, what is being said is not completely comprehensive. I definitely apologize for that and I would like to say that in case anybody wants any clarifications on what is being said, feel free to write to me. Some of our listeners do write and whenever I have the opportunity, I try to explain what has already been said in a manner that it could probably help them understand. So in case, in that sense, because there are a lot of Sanskrit words, I possibly may or may not translate some of them. So if it is not easy to follow, feel free to write to me at any time and I'd be happy to do that. It also gives me an opportunity to know where I need to probably stress a little more in the process of my explanation. So this journey has been very, very fruitful and I'm sure I've said this before and it's definitely worth repeating it again that the Bhagavad Gita as such has to be seen not merely as a textbook from which each page teaches you something or each verse teaches you something. Yes, there is a lot of things to learn Varied concepts will be spoken about, varied spiritual concepts, varied schools of thought, like the Sankhya philosophy, the Advaita philosophy, all of that is being spoken. We're going to come to the Bhakti tradition in the later chapters. But apart from being a textbook which informs, the Bhagavad Gita is also a text which is meant for manana. So there will be a lot of repetition. There's going to be a repetition even in this week's shlokas that we're going to go through. But we must look forward to that because that is the opportunity the text gives for us to roll these concepts again and again in our mind, sometimes looking at it from different perspectives, but nevertheless, it's the same concept. Like we do every week, we'll begin with a short summary of what we covered last week, and uh, we'll take it forward from there. We covered verses 20, 21, and 22 of the fifth chapter. In the 20th verse, Krishna describes the jnani as someone who isn't delighted when he gets something that is priyam or likable, nor does he get dejected because something apriyam or dislikable happens to him or her. 
and what causes this trait because he should be a stirabuddhi one who is of a steady intellect and asammudha an undeluded person and brahmavit knower of brahman and brahmanistha established in brahman and we saw how each one of these as a certain context to whatever krishna has been saying and we also saw through the shloka it is in the tone of saying that you should do this or you should be like this it is like a mandate but it is not like krishna is mandating anyani because anyani is all of this already but the instruction is to the sadhaka who is trying to get to that state so if i get to that state these will be my traits so i try to acquire these traits hoping that that will get me to that state so that's the idea behind that tone in the 21st verse krishna describes the nyani as a bahya sparsheshu asaktatma one who is indifferent to the contact with the outside world and bahya sparsha as we've seen is a reference to all sensual interactions with the outside world because sight hearing smelling they all are also a form of touch or sparsha and that's why bahya sparsheshu refers to all of these interactions between us and the outside world through the senses but this statement does not mean that he has no delight or he does not seek any happiness the difference is the nyani depends on what is within for happiness in the self yat sukham vindati atmani one who derives the happiness from oneself that is what is the nature of the nyani and krishna concludes that shloka by saying that such a person finds the inexhaustible reservoir of happiness sukham akshayam ashnute enjoys that limitless happiness which is within so in this search for happiness from temporary happiness which is represented by the sensual pleasures he eventually turns within to find that sukham akshayam the inexhaustible source of happiness in the 22nd verse krishna explains why the nyani is indifferent in these bahya sparshas he explains the reason behind this attitude of the nyani the reason is because the nyani has come to understand that these pleasures these sensual pleasures are merely sources of misery when looked at keenly dukha yonaya evathe they are only sources of misery how is that because they are adyantavantah they have a beginning and they have an end so every happiness that begins must have an end right that is the very nature of that happiness it is adyantavantah and when it ends there will be pain at that moment so the moment you sign up for such happiness you are also signing up for the misery that is there to follow so the nyani who is aware of this chooses not to get attached to the sensual pleasures and that is how he is a bahya sparsha asaktah so those were the verses that we covered last week hopefully we'll have enough time to cover three more verses this week and uh, i think with that we should be able to complete this chapter in the in the following week we'll see how it goes so we will go to verse number 23 as always we we'll listen to it in brother sham's voice his clear rendition that we are grateful for i'll give you the meaning in brief and then we will discuss in detail shaknoti haivayasodhum prakshari ravimokshanat 
ಕಾಮಕ್ರೋಧೋದ್ಭವಂ ವೇಗಂ ಸಯುಕ್ತ ಸುಖೀ ನರ one who can withstand here itself before departing from the body the impulse arising from desires and anger that man is a yogi he is happy that is verse 23 of the 5th chapter in the previous shloka which i just summarize krishna spoke about the jnani who knows that all pleasures born out of interaction with the world are dukkha yonaya generators of misery and they are able to cause misery by the fact that they have a beginning and the end just what i said before i played that shloka for you when they are taken away i am miserable and in pursuit of these pleasures also i am miserable because till i acquire the pleasure i am craving for it i am chasing after it i am miserable in the process of acquiring it i am in misery after it is taken away too so for a very brief time probably the pleasure is enjoyed and this only makes me more miserable when it is taken away right the very fact that it is pleasurable for that brief time makes it even more painful when it is taken away so the jnani knows this and no more seeks to draw happiness from there right like people who have say come out of addictions and or have pursued the wrong path of say crime and or a wayward lifestyle when they were teenagers after they grow a little older they become wiser and you know probably they'll come and advise others that don't go after these things they are not worth going after of course still some of us will say look it is my life i will make the same mistakes myself and then i will learn i will not learn from your mistakes that can only be termed as foolishness isn't it as i always like to say life is way too short for us to make all the mistakes ourselves and then learn the lessons we have to be to a certain extent prepared to learn from others mistakes too but that is how foolish some of us can be we see before our eyes certain habits ruin a person's life ruin a person's health in fact if you look at it in india and i'm sure it's true in some other countries too if there is a scene of drinking or smoking that is displayed in the television they display a message saying that we are not promoting these habits these habits are injurious to your health but still we say no who are you to tell me what i should do i will drink i will smoke i'll ruin my health and then i will say these pleasures are dukha yonaya sources of misery yes you have become wise at the end of it right you've spoiled your health you've spoiled your life and at the end of it you've become wise but you've become wise at what cost that is why such life of running behind such pleasures are plain foolishness right but not all pleasures are so obviously dangerous also but all pleasures are of the same nature that is why all of them are clubbed under this category of bahya sparsha all of these come under the same category some are less harmful than the others some harm shows up in a longer time frame but nevertheless the nature of all of these are same and that nature is adyantavanta they have a beginning and they have an end and they eventually lead to a very similar feeling of oh it was not worth all the effort so this realization is perfected in the case of a jnani and not for a moment you can fool him or her into falling for such pleasures because this wisdom has been established but when it comes to even mature living to an extent this understanding is necessary isn't it i think that's the point i'm trying to make that 
even to ensure that I live happy, I live a wholesome and fulfilled life on this earth. Forget about moksha, forget about having a place in heaven or going into some other plane of existence. Even to live a happy life in this world, I need this mature thinking, I need this simple understanding that I cannot make these mistakes. I will have to look at the other person and learn and this is simple mature living, right? So this shloka and the next few shlokas are going to make a reference to that common sense which has become so uncommon as Swami would say. Because basically a jnani is essentially the same as you and me. What we struggle to be, he or she has become perfect in that, right? And he has become that and he is being that. I love a few people in my life. The jnani just loves. His love is not directed to a few people, these people and those people. He just loves whoever comes in contact with the jnani is loved. Similarly, I try to be good. The jnani is in a state of such goodness that nothing can stop him or her from being good. So in a certain sense, these qualities are required for a happy living in this lifetime itself. As uh, I think if I'm not wrong, the science bias quote for today or uh, the one which was yesterday, I'm not too sure. Swami speaks of that. Swami says that the difference between a Sahaja Manava, a normal person, and a sadhaka or a person of a spiritual bent of mind is only that the difference between a grain of rice and boiled rice. Essentially the same, but the nature completely changes and that is what is the difference here. We also need happiness and peace. We also need a bit of common sense for our life. But in the case of Anyani, all of these is perfected. His source of happiness is within and that happiness is inexhaustible. His source of common sense is also within, which again is perfect common sense. He is a sthira buddhihi, right? As we saw in the previous verse, his intellect is established. It can never be distracted from that understanding. So it is not that when I die, people will say, okay, now he will rest in peace. No, I want that peace even when I am living right now. So the whole idea is the goal of the spiritual path must be that I want to experience this higher happiness now. Because not only are we pursuing that supreme peace and bliss, but we need peace and happiness even as we live in this world today. So in this shloka, Krishna speaks of Anyani as someone who has achieved this understanding in this very lifetime itself. But the reference is of course not merely to the pleasure itself, but what such pleasures cause in us. We will look at that uh, briefly. But he begins by saying, Shaknoti iha eva yaha. Shaknoti means is able to or, or can. Iha eva, here itself. Shaknoti iha eva yaha. One who is able to hear itself. Prak sharira vimokshanat. Prak means before or prior to. Sharira vimokshanat liberation from the body which means before death or before end of this lifetime so the reference is to one who is able to achieve this here itself meaning in this earthly plane itself praksharira vimokshanat before one gives up the body and what is that achievement that we are talking about sodhum withstanding or enduring kama krodod bhavam vegam the force or vegam that is born out of kama and krodha, desire and anger. 
what happens to a person who is able to achieve this in this very lifetime sa yuktah sa sukhi naraha sa yuktah sa sukhi naraha the man is a yogi and he is happy as simple as that when you achieve this you are happy right and who doesn't want to be happy and who is not seeking happiness that's why i said the spiritual journey is nothing but the search for happiness which has led you to look in the right place so he becomes a yogi and a sukhi naraha so a person may not be spiritual or is not made aware of the spiritual journey let's say that a person is still a good worldly person he or she is still lost in worldly pursuits even such a person will have to do with withstanding the force of kama krodha kama krododbhavam vegam because everyone wants to be a sukhi naraha a happy person well if you say no no i want to be depressed there are people like that right they say that i would like to remain in my sad state such people need help they need treatment really if someone says that i don't want to be happy we say that that person is mentally unwell and needs professional help which means to be normal is to want to be happy and so even a normal person needs this a yogi is someone who has taken it to the next level that's the only difference between a yogi and a normal person as we have been seeing in all these verses where he or she has changed one's nature so completely that they are incapable of being deluded again or being drawn to worldly pleasures again but for now we will talk about the shloka as being relevant for people like you and me who are still on the path and for people who are not necessarily on the spiritual path but they are just good individuals who want to lead a happy life in the world so there are two important portions that we have to look into in this particular shloka one we just spoke about this is not something that has to be done so that we will be rewarded later this is a sukha that krishna is speaking of that has to be enjoyed in this world itself that we crave for in this world itself so that's the first part the second part is this statement kama krododbhavam vegam the force born out of desire and anger so this connection between the senses the likes and dislikes related to them desire and anger are constantly established in the gita in fact uh, if you recall it was very clearly stated in the third chapter that we had gone through and this is almost like you know this relationship between the senses likes and dislikes all of these kama krodha this is somewhat like the blueprint of the human psyche which the gita uses as the basis for the explanation that it gives from different angles you know it often happens that when you want to explain any problem in society there are many ways of looking at it but you choose one basic pattern and study that situation like a person who is into economics will look at the flow of money or the way people interact when it comes to monetary uh, interactions that is one way of looking at the whole society there are some other people who would like to study the society from the basic uh, human nature itself so there is a certain blueprint that is taken and all explanation is pretty much based on that so in the gita the blueprint that is used is this explanation of the human psyche so maybe before going forward i will try to once again reiterate for our own benefit for refreshing our memory what is this blueprint that we are talking about here 
and this is what it is. Each one of us have a nature or prakriti within. You have a certain nature, I have a certain nature. We are different like that. Each one of us is unique. And this prakriti is in the subconscious mind. This prakriti in the subconscious mind manifests in the conscious mind as likes and dislikes with regards to the senses. There are some things I like to see, like to eat, like to smell. Similarly, there are some things that I don't like to see and so on, right? So, the prakriti or the nature in my subconscious mind surfaces in the conscious mind as likes and dislikes with regards to the senses. But each one of us is a complex and unique combination of such likes and dislikes, which you refer to as raga and dvesha. And that is what defines our personality. If I were to exhaustively list out all my raga and dvesha, that will be who I am. And similarly, if you list out all your ragas and dvesha, likes and dislikes, that is what will be who you are. Now, there are two influences in our life. Influences from outside. When we talk about the influences from outside, they are, say, the fashion, the circumstances, the upbringing that we have gone through. So, these are the external influences of this Raga and Dvesha. So, there is an internal influence of our Prakriti, which decides what our likes and dislikes are. And there are also external influences like the circumstances, the trends and the way we are brought up. Those are also influences on our likes and dislikes. This Raga and Dvesha is also referred to as Kama or desires. Because broken down, my desires are nothing but what I want and what I don't want. And this is based on nothing but my likes and dislikes. So if I'm able to get what I like, it's fine. At that moment, no harm is done. But when I don't get what I want or what I don't want is thrust upon me, I am agitated. So as a businessman, I want profit. I don't want loss. So if loss is thrust upon me, I am agitated. What happens when I get a profit? Yes, at that moment I am happy. But as we saw in the previous shloka, even when something gives me happiness, the sense pleasures, for example, will lead you eventually to a road of despair. I see a profit today. I will not say that, okay, I've got my profit. Let me go home. I will say that I want more profit tomorrow. And it only makes me restless. And eventually there is a point where I will see a loss. So in that sense, the pursuit itself does not ever give that happiness. Of course, that's a different point altogether. But the thing is, all of these ragas and dveshas are something that it does not give satisfaction. And at some point, it will lead to agitation. That is the word which is important. That is why Kama Kroda is often spoken of as a unit, as a complex, as two things which go together. In a way, I feel this when we say Krodha here, it is not just anger, right? The word Krodha actually means anger, but it is not necessarily anger in the sense of rage. It is an agitation of the mind, which probably you could say includes all the other vices as well of greed, of jealousy, of pride, loba, mother, matsarya, as we say, right? So, Kama Krodha is, when you have desires, the agitation that it causes in mind is called Kama Krodha. And when there is Kama Krodha, it expresses itself in words and actions. We speak or do something harmful to ourselves or to others. So, one thing is that we do something that we may 
regret later, but there is something more subtle that happens, which is every time I express this Kamakrodha in words or in actions, it also adds to this Prakriti in my subconscious mind. Right? This is how things work. And it is upon this model, right, starting from Prakriti to actions and words which eventually are expressed and how that again adds to the Prakriti. This is the blueprint of the human psyche, that model that Gita explains to us and what we are supposed to do with this is how we must live in our lives based on this blueprint. right? So Gita uses this blueprint to explain to us how to go about in this spiritual journey. Like in the previous shloka, this shloka that we went through, it hardly refers to a jnani because Krishna has already said that sensual pleasures do not interest the jnani at all. So when there are no raga and dvesha for the senses, there can be no kama krodha or kama krodod bhavam vegam, the force that is born of this kama and krodha. So this shloka is clearly for people like us whose senses can be stirred or the mind can be agitated and we can have kama and krodha. Now there is one more thing we need to understand in the shloka. Krishna is not necessarily talking about all sorts of kamas or all sorts of desires. He is speaking specifically of such desires that can lead to agitation and that push us to action. As we go through life, we see a lot of fancy things in the world and probably at that moment we will think, oh, this is very nice or I would like to have that. But next moment we go on with our activities, right? That desire does not necessarily disturb my peace in that true sense. So Krishna is not speaking about such desires which come and go, right? In fact, the best way to deal with those desires is just let them come and go. Don't get too disturbed with them or don't cling on to them, right? So he is speaking of those desires that disturb the mind, that cause agitation in the mind. When you see something and you begin to actively crave for it or a desire when it is denied, you get disturbed and you get agitated. We are speaking about such desires. If you recall in the third chapter, Krishna had explained about uh, three types of desires and he had done it through three very beautiful analogies. He had said, desires cover the jnana like ash covers the embers, like dust covers the surface of a mirror or like a fetus that is covered in a womb. And I think at that time we had discussed this in detail that some desires don't have to be worried about which are represented by that first analogy of ash covering embers. You can just blow them away or keep your mind occupied with something else and they will eventually go away. Then you have the second type which is dust on the mirror and we spoke about how some desires will have to be countered. You take a wet cloth and you wipe the mirror. Similarly, when some desires come up, they have to be actively countered by other desires or nobler thoughts. Those are second kind of desires and the third one is desires that will take a long time to work on and they will eventually go away. right? So the problem is with the second and the third types which are more persistent and can cause problem and also require proactive treatment. So they are desires which once when they enter the mind, make us feel incomplete and more importantly, propel us to 
act that propelling to act is what is referred to as kama krododbhavam vegam that force that is born from kama kroda in fact in uh, his bhashyam or commentary adi shankara goes on to describe a few physical reactions with which these kind of desires can be identified and i don't think they are comprehensive and they were not meant to be comprehensive too but just to give us an idea adi shankara goes on to say he says when you have this kind of desires which lead to that vegam born out of kamakrodha he says it will cause romanchana horripilation prakrishta netrad vadana the eyes and face light up or they are flushed similarly the force of anger is seen as gatra prakampa shaking of the body or prasveda sweating or biting of one's lips or the eyes becoming bloodshot right these are all the sanskrit words that he uses in his bhashyam to describe the physical reactions when you are being driven by this kind of kamakrodha well as you can see these are not necessarily comprehensive or mandatory but what is being driven home here is these are physical manifestations of a mental aberration or a mental disturbance and that's the important point that we have to keep in mind so if we have physical reactions if i'm shaking in my body as i'm getting angry as it happens quite often with most of us it is a sign that now that anger has become a force of its own and it is controlling me right that is the most important aspect about that kama krododbhavam vegam it is born out of kama krodha and it has become a force of its own that now it begins to control me that desire has now possessed me that anger or that rage is now possessed me right we are talking about that kind of an anger and that invariably has some kind of a physical manifestation you start stuttering when you are angry or you start shaking you know it, i think it happens to most of us or your heart starts racing and this can be seen in both cases when you very very strongly crave something at the same time when you are very agitated about something so there is a physical manifestation and that is what adi shankara also refers to when he says that these are the different physical changes in your body that you will notice when you have this kind of kamakrodha vega so in this shloka krishna is not speaking about the desires is not speaking about anger or frustration he is specifically speaking about dealing with that force or vegam that comes and controlling that in this very lifetime in this worldly life that we are leading if you think of it that is the opportunity that living in the society gives us it puts us in different situations it stirs that kama and krodha and gives us an opportunity to deal with that force that is born out of that and this will eventually lead to one not having that kama at all right which is the state of the jnani we spoken about anger management earlier too so we'll not go into it much in detail so put it very briefly the buddhi or the discrimination can be used in various stages of this process of we becoming angry now what happens after i get angry let's say I've, you know somebody has really disturbed me and i become very angry i have also expressed it by means of shouting at that person after some time what happens is i start thinking what do i do i use my buddhi or my discrimination to brood over the whole thing i say that okay i probably lost it a little too much or i should not have said this 
I lost control of myself, right? That's what we're trying to talk about. The anger which takes control of us. So all of this happens after I have expressed my anger. Instead, can we bring this discrimination between anger arising in the mind and it expressing itself in words and action? That way, we will be dealing with the vegam or the force born from that krodha. And slowly, that discrimination will automatically happen, right? The moment the mind is disturbed, when a desire or an anger arises, there is disturbance in the mind and it triggers that discrimination instantly. It becomes like a reflex when we have done that discrimination on a number of occasions. So, with time, that discrimination becomes instant as soon as we are disturbed. Eventually, since you are always discriminating and contemplating about you know, is it worth ang- being angry and oh, this is alright. And when you also bring in the spiritual dimension as the discrimination now will become the contemplation about what is real and what is unreal as we have spoken about earlier. The Nitya Anitya Vastu Viveka as it is called. Now the discrimination becomes like what am I brooding over? This is after all not worth or this is uh, Anitya. This is not you know worth investing time on. The mind eventually reaches a state where it is not going to fall for these sense pleasures at all. Which means that this discrimination now happens even before the desire arises in the mind. Right? So it sees all desires as adhyantavantaha. They have a beginning and an end. So they cannot be nitya. And hence that discrimination comes to a state where it is so spontaneous that it arises in the mind even before the disturbance happens in the mind. So initially the discrimination happens after the disturbance and after the expression and after you cool down, you start discriminating. You bring it back a little where before you express it, you are discriminating and then it comes to a point where you are constantly discriminating about it. So the moment there is a disturbance in the mind, it is negated. Eventually it comes to a point where there can be no disturbance at all because you are constantly involved in this internal reflection of what is real and what is unreal. So an individual who has achieved this within one's lifetime has already achieved the highest. Krishna had said this even in the 19th verse. He said here itself, in this lifetime itself, you will receive the reward. So in this case, Krishna puts it as a mandate that even as we are striving to reach this, even as we are striving to reach the state of being able to counter this force which is born out of Kamakrodha, we should try to achieve it in this lifetime itself. right? So that is the mandate or that is the instruction that Krishna is giving. So this is not something that oh, if I keep doing sadhana all my life, then I will reach this state after this life. No, it is not in that manner. One must strive to achieve this within this lifetime. If I am getting angry five times a week, can I make it three times a week in the course of, say, a month? So, it is something that you have to really, it should be a tangible difference and a tangible change that happens within each one of us. And that's why I said that shloka is as much applicable for a jnani as it is applicable for a spiritual aspirant, as it is applicable for a normal person. Because as Swami very beautifully says in in a discourse, He says, getting angry, hating somebody or getting irritated, being jealous, 
these are all like fires that burn you from within. It is like imagine yourself emulating yourself. All of these qualities are like that. So Swami says, who would want to do that? You don't have to be a spiritual person to not self-immolate, right? Even a worldly person doesn't want to spoil his or her health. So this shloka and probably even the next one applies as much to even a normal person who wants to be a sukhi nara, who wants to be a happy person, as simple as that, right? So that is the 23rd verse. We'll listen to the 24th verse and we'll discuss about that after I give you the brief meaning. One who is happy within, whose pleasure is within, and who has his light only within, that yogi, having become Brahman, attains absorption in Brahman. So that is verse 24 of the 5th chapter. A few verses back, we had seen a play of words with the word Tat, right? I think uh, not very long ago. In this shloka, we are seeing a play of words with the word Antaha or within. There are many ways of defining what a spiritual life is, especially if you are trying to contrast it with a regular or a worldly life. One of the very effective ways is to say that a spiritual life is turning inward and the worldly life is always looking outward and that is why they are called the Nivritti Marga, the inward path and the Pravritti Marga or the outward path. So in the spiritual journey, everything is within. The goals are within, the achievements are within, the way to check progress is to see within. If there is a problem, the solution is sought within. If one wants happiness or peace, one seeks within. So turning within is probably one of the very apt descriptions you can give for a spiritual life. So this shloka is a reference to that turning within. And that Krishna does by very beautifully playing with the word antaha or within. He says, Yaha, one who is Antasukha, whose happiness is within, Antararamaha, one who revels in that which is within, Tatha Yaha, also who is Antarjyotihi Eva, illumined by what is within. What happens to such a person comes in the next line, but what are these three qualities that Krishna is mentioning? We will first discuss about that and how we can look at it from the point of view of our own lives. Firstly, he says, Antasukaha, whose happiness now lies within. This is quite simple, a definition that Krishna has been giving about Jnani on many occasions before. If we critically look at our lives, we all have this need for inner happiness and outer happiness, right? Even within our own lives, you know, forget about being a spiritual person or being a sadhaka or being a, a karma yogi and all of that. Even for a simple life, we need both these kinds of happiness, inner happiness and outside happiness. In fact, this distinction can be clearly seen in certain occasions. 
let's say I'm internally very disturbed because of something. Something is happening in my workplace or something is happening in my life to my dear ones and I'm disturbed. At that moment, give me the tastiest of meals. But my mind, if it is disturbed, I will not be able to enjoy that tasty meal that is in front of me. When my mind is so disturbed, give me the most comfortable of beds and the most coziest of rooms. If I am depressed, I will not get a good night's sleep, right? So there is certainly these things which we can clearly see as inner happiness or inner peace or something outside that contributes to our happiness and contributes to our peace. The problem is that many of us give too much importance to the happiness that is experienced through the objects that are outside of us. So this is something that we know from our experience, that there is an inner happiness and an outside happiness. Forget about all the material objects, right? That is one set. When you look at our own life with Swami and when we were students, imagine even when we were in Swami's presence, when Swami himself was sitting before us, if our mind was disturbed, we could not enjoy Swami's presence. And I think that is a very, very telling fact as to this inner world and the outer world and how important it is to focus on this inner world. What more can you want? The very epitome of whatever you want to achieve in this world. Swami was right in front of us, but there were occasions when we would sit there and our mind would be disturbed. It could be something as silly as there was an exam the next day which we were not prepared for. We were not able to enjoy Swami's presence, right? I'm not telling that the exam becomes more important than Swami. It is not in that way. If we have allowed something to disturb our mind, with a disturbed mind, even if the happiness in front of me is perfect in that sense, I will not be able to relish it. And in Swami's presence, I think that was one of the lessons that we learned. It is so important to look within and set right what is within, even if you want to enjoy what is outside of you. right? So as much time as we give to gathering objects and people in search of this happiness, the starting point is at least... As much of that time we must give to set right what is within, set right our mind, right? And this we have to do in pursuit of happiness itself, of in pursuit of moksha or liberation or a place in heaven. Even in pursuit of happiness, we must give as much time to set right the inside as we are giving to earn money and to earn name and fame, gathering those objects which will externally contribute to our happiness. Then will come a time when we are only bothered about this inner happiness, that balance of time which we are giving, the balance of time between the inner happiness and outer happiness will tilt so much towards this inner happiness that we will be more and more bothered about setting this inner happiness right. For example, when I perform a task, I will only be looking for Atma Santushti or self-satisfaction. I am at a crossroads, I have to make a decision I will not ask what if I do I will gain and thereby be happy, right? What if I do I will materially gain because material gain also will give me happiness or that's the idea I have. I will rather ask what if I do I can be at peace with myself. So there will be this constant search for inner peace and inner balance. Antasukha, right? That is what it means. Antasukha means now that has become my priority. I am not looking at the objects that will give me happiness, but I have turned myself within and say that I can set right this happiness within. 
right so then krishna goes on to say antararamaha one who revels in that which is within one way of describing the statement is that a person is attached or focused on the atma which is within the self which is within but look at it this way which probably will be more applicable to each of us how many of us are afraid to be lonely how many of us are afraid to be by ourselves you know we constantly want someone to be with us i'm not saying only in the form of people if not people in fact uh, it has changed so much that we don't want to be with people because being with people is actually quite draining but we want gadgets we want a phone we want internet we want to be connected to the world virtually right these are signs that we don't like to be alone as we grow in the spiritual path we will not want to run away from ourselves in a sense we will revel in what is within we will revel in solitude so that is also one of the ways of looking at it in my opinion right you don't detest your own company in fact you enjoy being with yourself because what is within has become so beautiful that you don't mind the company of what is within you don't need somebody outside to take you away from what is within right that's what happens with most of us we don't want to be left alone with our thoughts we don't want to be left alone with ourselves so somebody who will become an antararama is one who revels with what is within the same trait when we speak of in the context of a jnani or at least someone who is able to constantly remember that there is only one self in all the self in me is the same as the self in everyone so imagine that state of mind the person who knows that the inner self is the same in all the bodies around imagine i am in that state i will look at the world with a certain amusement isn't it amusement of my own self it is the same self that is within that is playing all these different forms in somebody it is playing mischief in somebody it is playing like a crook in somebody it is being a saint in somebody it is being a thief so i will look at this world with a certain sense of amusement not anger or jealousy or irritation because it is my own self which i am seeing in all of these different forms so some you'd often give an example and i'm sure we would have given it in other programs in fact we spoke about this even this morning some you'd say when a dog goes into a house of mirrors the dog thinks that it has entered a room where there are hundreds and hundreds of dogs and it gets very agitated it starts barking and it starts pouncing on the glass but the same house of mirrors when a man enters it he very well knows that it is his own form that is being reflected on all these mirrors and what happens to us when we are put in front of a nice life size mirror well we are amused with ourselves right i don't think there there are very few people who don't like to be in front of a mirror the moment you're in front of a mirror you look at yourself you look at yourself from different angles you smile you you set right your hair right because you're amused you're not looking at the reflection as somebody else you're amused with yourself and that is what happens in the case of a jnani who knows that all beings around carry that same self that is within him he is amused with his own self antararamah finally krishna says in the shloka antarjyotihi who is illumined from what is within this is another way of saying that all ignorance has been removed because krishna had said this uh, a few shlokas back to he said when the ignorance that is clouding the self is removed the self 
shows itself in its own light right that's what krishna had said sometime earlier in this chapter this can also be told that one is now absolutely clear right there are nothing that is blocking this person's understanding there is nothing that is deluding this person's discrimination there are no confusions in this person he or she doesn't depend on others to guide them and give them clarity they are self illumined because each one of us has this source of knowledge within right that is the premise with which vedanta works each one of you is divine each one of you have that source of perfect knowledge within and it is this idea of uh, body consciousness that clouds this right so when i am able to remove this or increasingly when i begin to remove this the more and more i will be self dependent in me being able to see clearly right that is one of the ways of saying antarjyotihi some you would often say that when you make it a habit to listen to your conscience right antarvani some you would call the conscience one of the words that some you would use it is the voice within when you make it a habit to listen to your conscience you will see that progressively you will find it more and more easier for you to bring out this wisdom from your conscience you are in dilemma you are in a crisis you don't know what to do you just have to take a moment to look within and you'll know what you're supposed to do and even in the case of a, a spiritual aspirant you'll find that this antarjyoti he, he turns within for counsel more and more often than he or she turns without but in the case of a nyani this is perfect all his wisdom comes only from within so through all these faces krishna speaks about a nyani as one who is turning within or a spiritual aspirant as one who is turning within and a nyani as someone who is completely dependent on what is within and such a person krishna says sa yogi such a yogi brahma bhutaha becomes brahman brahma nirvanam adhigachati attains absolute freedom or moksha so what is this brahma nirvanam that he speaks about we will speak about that even in the next shloka because the word is used even in the next shloka so we'll listen to shloka number 25 and we'll discuss about that before concluding for this week labhante brahma nirvanam rushayah kshina kalmasha छिन्नद्वैधात्मानः सर्वभूतहितेरता सीजेस हु सिन्स हैव बीन वॉश्ड अवे हु सेंस ऑफ सेपरेटनेस हैज वैनिश्ड हु हैव सबड्यूड देमसेल्व्स एंड सीक ओनली द वेलफेयर ऑफ ऑल कम टू द इटर्नल स्पिरिट सो दैट्स द 25th वर्स ऑफ द 5th चैप्टर in the previous shloka krishna said that such a person attains brahma nirvanam here he continues to speak of such a person here he calls them rishayah or rishis a common usage that we have in our scriptures so those that have become kshina kalmashah in whom the flaws have been completely destroyed and clearly the flaws are that are being referred to are range from the vegam that is born from kama krodha the kama itself and 
the delusion which is causing the karma. So this entirely, and that is why it is said, "Kshina kalmashaha," the flaws have been completely destroyed, right? Without a trace, the whole sequence is taken care of. There is no karma krodha at all. Why there is no karma krodha? Because there are no desires whatsoever. How is it there are no desires? The delusion that one is this limited body and mind has also been removed. That's why kshina kalmashaha. The kalmashas or the flaws have been literally scrubbed out. It is not a superficial cleaning, but it is a thorough cleaning that has happened. So then he describes the person as chinna dvaidhaha. Chinna dvaidha. Chinna means to tear apart. Chinna dvaidha means whose dualities have been torn apart or torn asunder. That's a very interesting way of saying. If you want to counter duality, something that is separate, then you have to put them together, right? Let's say you have a toy that was supposed to be in one piece and it has become two, it is broken. So what do you do? You stick it together. Or you have a cloth which is stone, which is supposed to be one cloth, then you stitch it together, right? But here Krishna is saying, Chinna Dvaida, the duality is torn apart. How do you tear apart duality? Because here we are speaking about the attitude of duality. There is only one. This delusion that there is many is something like a covering on this knowledge of non-duality. So that attitude is torn apart into shreds and the non-duality surfaces. Then again he says, Yatatmanaha, someone who is in control of oneself. A very important point that keeps coming again and again. Self-control, someone who is self-gathered. So these are some of these traits which keep repeating itself again and again. Samatvam, Yatatmanaha, one who is in control of oneself and there's going to be one more which is going to come. And the statement that, the phrase that Krishna makes just next, again something which has been mentioned earlier and this is not going to be the last time we hear a mention of it. He says, Sarvabhuta hite rataha. Hita means welfare or good. Sarvabhuta hite means the welfare, sarvabhuta hita means the welfare of one and all. Rataha means one who rejoices or one who enjoys that. So sarvabhuta hite rataha means one who finds delight in the welfare of one and all. So this is another quality, just like how yatatmanaha is one quality. This is one more quality that we will find being referred to in many, many places. The nature is described as that of the jnani. At the same time, it is also described as the nature of a karma yogi. It is also described as the nature of a perfect bhakta or a devotee in the later chapters. Which means this is one of the fundamental traits of spiritual progress. Samatvam, for instance, or equanimity is one of the traits that keeps repeating, which means that is a fundamental trait of spiritual progress. Yatatmanaha, as I said, to have control over one's own selves is a quality that keeps getting repeated. So that is the fundamental quality by which you can measure your spiritual progress. Similarly, Sarvabhuta Hite Rataha, one who delights when somebody else has something nice happening to them. And we will find different verses which will describe this very beautiful trait in a person. Who doesn't like a person who has this quality, right? So this is again one of the fundamental qualities of a spiritual person. So Krishna says, such a person, labhante brahma nirvanam, obtains absolute freedom. 
the word nirvana itself means liberation right we technically use that buddha attained nirvana we use nirvana itself to mean spiritual enlightenment but if you look at it from the point of view of language the word in sanskrit literally means to extinguish by blowing out actually vati means to blow so nirvana means you blow something out of existence you extinguish it by blowing so the word nirvana can be used in multiple contexts it can be used in the context of relief from pain right i'm giving you nirvana from pain it could it could mean it could be in relief from one's problems but here the reference is not to any kind of nirvana it is to brahma nirvana that extinguishing that leaves one in the state of brahman you blow out the delusion and what you're left with is the state of one being identified with brahman so that is why specifically krishna uses the word brahma nirvana and he uses it in this verse as well as the previous one so before we conclude this week and these three verses let me quickly list down the different traits that krishna mentions just in these two shlokas shloka number 24 and 25 and these are beautiful qualities to recollect and remember that these are the qualities which define a spiritual person and these as we have seen do not refer to any religion do not refer to any caste or any kind of upbringing these are probably traits of a wise person a good person a person who wants to benefit the people around right these are all simple traits and that's why goodness never goes out of fashion in the spiritual journey so there are seven qualities that krishna mentions i will just quickly recall them and we'll conclude with that quality number 1 he says antasukaha one who seeks happiness within antararamaha one who revels in that which is within revels in one's own company revels in one's own good thoughts antarjyotihi he is illumined by the light within one who turns within for solutions one who turns to the conscience when one has to take decisions the fourth quality is kshina kalmashaha the flaws of kamakrodha vegam of raga and dvesha have been completely destroyed in this person chindadvaidha even the basic delusion of duality has been torn apart in this individual yatatmanaha someone who is in control of oneself and finally the beautiful phrase sarvabhuta hiteirataha one who finds delight in the welfare of others so these are the various qualities that are mentioned in these two shlokas and we'll conclude this week's gita series with that dear listeners thank you for joining me again if if there's anything that i've said which was not clear enough feel free to write to me i'd be happy to explain this further through the email or if it warrants in the next episode i could make a mention of it before we go forward i most humbly offer this effort at swami's lotus feet and do join me again next week for continuation of this pilgrimage of the gita series till i meet you all next week take care jai sai ram